You're listening to the All You Can Eat Shrimp podcast, and welcome to the very first edition of a series of financial-based episodes that I'll be doing throughout the year. And today, I am joined by my guest, Joe Brody. Joe has experience in the financial field as an advisor. Thanks for coming on, Joe. Hi, good to be with you. Thanks. Uh, So tell us a little bit about uh, what you're currently seeing in well, actually, how about we start simple? Uh, how did you first get into the field of finances? Um, well, I think a lot of it had to do with the 2008 crash. Um, my, um, my mother lost her job during it. And I remember I was probably about 13 or 14 at the time. Um, and I remember, you know, things were kind of tough. We were trying to scrape together stuff and you know, cut things. And that was actually when my dad took a um, business opportunity to um, work with an old friend of his at a small little trucking company and in the hopes that he would take it over. And so now they've been running that business ever since, and they've been really successful. And um, it took them until about two, probably four years ago before they opened up any retirement plans for themselves they basically i mean they're pushing on 60 and they basically have no retirement and so that's something that i've been very passionate about is helping people start retirement accounts and getting ready for things like that yes and uh there's been a lot of talk about inflation in the news recently what are your Mm -hmm. thoughts like uh what are your thoughts with uh the fears of inflation right now like what can we expect in 2022? I think it's a lot of it depends on what the Federal Reserve decides to do. Um, They've already announced that they're going to start tapering and start raising interest rates. Um, It just depends on how quick they go with that. Um, Their issue right now is that they're kind of in a tight spot because if they raise interest rates on the federal funds rate, that's going to lead to pretty much all other loans and all other interest rates going up, including interest on the national debt, which could cause a lot of problems for the federal government. Yeah. Um, so I don't think they're going to go too crazy on that. Some people have been saying they're going to raise rates by half or by, by 50 basis points, which is half of a percent. Um, but I, I'm guessing they'll probably raise it by a quarter, you know, 25 basis points. Um, and maybe a few more times from there. Um, I'm guessing inflation is probably going to, might it might keep going up, but I'm guessing it's going to stay at a st- certain rate for a while. I don't, I've seen people worrying about hyperinflation, which I don't think that's an issue right now. I mean, it could in the future, but. And, okay, uh, in your opinion, what's the, defini- uh, what's the difference between inflation that we're seeing now and hyperinflation? So hyperinflation is just on a completely different scale. I mean, we're talking, um, you know, instead of talking about, you know, double digit inflation, which is what we're kind of experiencing, you know, that seven to 10% inflation, we're talking about like 1 million percent inflation over the course of, you know, a year or even just a few months. Um, So that's really the big difference. I mean, it's to the point where um, I heard an economist the other day talking about how 
to know if you're having hyperinflation versus regular inflation, um, you can tell when you start counting money by weighing it rather than actually counting it <laughs> because it doesn't matter what the actual bills are. So yeah, I don't, I don't think that's something we'll yeah. have to face right now, but it certainly could be an issue in the future. And yeah, like a lot of people uh, feel like the big, historically the big hedge against inflation has been precious metals like gold and silver, mm -hmm. but a lot of people feel like cryptocurrencies might be the way to go. Like, what are your thoughts on that? So I think it kind of depends. Um, one of the things I've noticed is that people kind of view cryptocurrencies as this broad brush that all kind of move together. And a lot of the market does, but um, oh, it, you know, there's a lot of diversity in there. I think like Bitcoin specifically people will use, and I don't, it doesn't seem to come across as a hedge against inflation. Yeah. I mean, right now inflation is going up and Bitcoin's been going down. Um, and it tends to move more with the stock market than um, against, um, which I think is the big problem with it as a store of value and as a hedge. Um, but I'm sure there are certainly coins that probably are designed, you know, some type of stable coin that probably goes up with inflation. Yeah, but I guess at the same time, you got a lot of people who like Bitcoin for a long-term investment mm -hmm. because like I remember when I first wanted to get into Bitcoin was back in 2014, my senior year of high school. I wanted to get in mm -hmm. back when Bitcoin was 35 bucks a coin, but mm -hmm. my dad my dad wouldn't let me because he thought it was <laughs> a scam. I, I had a hundred bucks <laughs> for my grandpa that I wanted to buy. I want I could have bought two Bitcoin coins and like uh, let me check how much Bitcoin's worth at this exact mo moment. Uh, like I was getting a lot of notifications from Bitcoin because I actually do have a little bit in it, not mm -hmm. not a whole coin unfortunately, but a small <laughs> fraction. Yeah, like uh, Bitcoin today is valued at uh, thirty five thousand mm -hmm. dollars. Yeah, so. Uh, I always make sure to give my dad a nice shit-eating grin every, yeah, every single time the news talks about it, he knows what he did. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's certainly one of those things where, you know, I, my friend in high school tried to get me to go, get into him, and I think they were $32 a coin, and I thought they were complete waste of money. Um, I didn't understand the point of it. I, um. And, you know, now I'm pretty sure he's lives in like the Bahamas, you know, <laughs> and just sits on the beach all day. Um, but, you know, uh, I think part of the thing with crypto, though, is that, I mean, it's a, we're definitely in a crypto bubble right now. Um, and yeah. I tend to be kind of moderate on crypto. You know, you have a lot of people who think crypto is just absolutely terrible and there's no use in it whatsoever. And it's all, you know, like it's all a scam basically. And then you have people on the other side that says it's the way of the future. We should put all our money into crypto. Crypto is like the best way to make money. And I am kind of mixed on it. I think um, the worst case scenario I see for crypto is that it becomes more commonly used for institutions. Um, you know, so for like banks to try and reduce transaction costs and to increase the time it takes for you to transfer money somewhere. Um, 
but I could certainly see them being used as investments too in the future. Um, yeah. Or as way. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, and in your opinion, uh, there's kind of on writing the idea of cryptocurrencies. There's been a lot of talk with uh, NFTs. Like, can you explain mm-hmm. to the audience what an NFT is and if it's a lot like crypto in in comparison? Yeah, so an NFT is called a non-fungible token. And so basically what that means is that since it's non-fungible just means that it can't be replaced. Um, So if you buy some, I don't know, uh, Uh, a water bottle, yeah, you know, that's replaceable. Whereas with this, there's only one of them. Um, Uh, Yeah, like a good example I hear is... uh, you could buy a print of the Mona Lisa, but it's not mm-hmm. the actual Mona Lisa. That's yep. where the NFT is. Yep, exactly. Um, and so part of the reason why it's so controversial is, um, oh, I should also add that it exists in the blockchain, the contract yep. to buy it. So that way you can, it's public record who owns it. And so you can verify, I own this item. Well, this digital asset. Um, one of the main reasons why it's kind of controversial is that, you know, a lot of them are like GIFs and JPEGs and stuff like that. And I mean, for all intents and purposes, you could just screenshot a JPEG and yeah, you don't technically own it, but in practical terms, it's not a huge difference. Um, I think part of the problem is that people are viewing it as a get rich quick scheme. And that's certainly working right now. Um, I don't know if there will be a crash in the NFT market, um, but if there is, I would not be surprised. Um, I think in the end, they'll become a lot more like, um, more like collecting some pretty much collectibles, you know, like baseball cards or yeah, fine art stuff basically. like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that's probably the space it's going to occupy. Um, and you know, there's a lot of cool stuff with NFTs. Like there can, in the contract, you can say, um, I think Jake Paul or Logan Paul might've done this where it says, hey, if you buy this, you get special perks from, you know, whichever of the Paul brothers, you know, certain things like you can come to like some event or something. Or if you're a person who creates um, NFT art, you can include in there, you know, um, royalties so that if someone were to sell it, you still would make money off of that uh, next sale, which means you could have income coming in every time your art gets sold, Um, which would be nice for artists. Yeah, and this is kind of me just thinking about why a lot of people don't trust uh, digital currencies is, in my theory, it's because uh, the financial field is really old. Like Warren Buffett, Mm -hmm. Bill Gates, hates uh, they're all really old people people but Mm -hmm. yeah but the tech field it's really young entrepreneurs and Mm -hmm. you got the financial field that lived through the great depression uh the beanie baby craze uh is of the Mm -hmm. 80s and early 90s and of course uh you got bernie may hate off near Mm -hmm. the tail end of the great of uh the great recession so Mm -hmm. you gotta you basically got the young and the old mashing each other with different perspectives on how to escape wealth. And you can see that with Robin Hood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like- yeah. 
Well, and I think part of the other concern is just the sheer amount of assets that are in stuff like Bitcoin and the crypto market and NFTs in general. Um, because I think I saw the crypto market has, I think, $4 trillion um, in market cap right now, which is an insane amount of money when you look at it. Um, and I think people have this unrealistic expectation that Bitcoin's just going to, and you know, not just Bitcoin, but Bitcoin's kind of the flagship for crypto, yeah. considering it was the first and the biggest, um, but that it's just going to keep going and going forever. And, you know, we're going to hit someday a million dollars a coin, which that's not possible. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah but, but then on the other hand, you got uh, people like Robin Hood who short squeeze Dogecoin take like there are people who had bought Dogecoin when like a hundred bucks worth of Dogecoin when it was worth barely a penny. And once mm-hmm. once we all once everyone on Robinhood pushed it up to a dollar, that that right there was at least a thousand percent return. So mm-hmm. hundred bucks into that, you're fucking rich overnight. Yeah. Well, and that's I think one of the really interesting things about um the current investment market is that We've never really seen, you know, you have like hedge funds and, you know, institutional investors, but we've never seen what happens when a lot of individual um, retail investors all act in a similar way. I mean, we saw it with GameStop, but that was kind of the first time that it ever happened. Um, And that's been really interesting to watch. Oh, yeah. Like, like, do you fall like out of curiosity, do you have Robin Hood? Yeah, I do. Yep. Yeah, like uh, you remember last year where they kind of did that uh, one year wrap up where they showed you a lot of facts about your trading history, how many mm-hmm. dividends you got. Like, I was so disappointed that they didn't do that this year. You know, I didn't really notice. To be honest, I don't use it that much. Yeah. I used it a lot more in college, um, but I, I try to keep up to date with most of like the stock trading accounts. So yeah. I have a lot of them. But um, yeah, like uh, for my audience out there, what would you recommend as your personal go-to? Um, I would probably say, well, so I think in the end, it doesn't matter too much as long as the commissions are low. Um, obviously, Robinhood's free, um, Weeble's free, public.com is free, um, M1 Finance is free, Fidelity, TD Ameritrade, most of them are free now. Um, the big thing is what you would choose to invest in. Um, and for most people, investing in some variation of an S&P 500 ETF index fund um, is probably their best choice. Yeah, and um, I'm glad, I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up because one thing I want to do with my financial series this year is give my listeners advice on how to get out of poverty. In mm-hmm. your opinion, what's the first step for someone to climb out of poverty? Um, I think the first step is to make a budget and figure out, you know, how much you're coming, how much money you're making versus how much money you're spending. Um, And from there, kind of make a plan on it. Um, I think as far as, you know, the other major things are pay down any super high interest debt. So credit cards, Um, other debts, maybe depending on the rate, you know, there's a lot of good guides on the internet that kind of give you a good feel. Um, certainly anything over 10%, you should absolutely get rid of first. Um, 
And then I think for most people investing in um, some ETFs or index funds, depending on what you prefer, they're yeah. basically the same in the end. Um, as far as this goes, I mean, ETFs are more tradable index funds. You can only trade at the end of the day, but it doesn't really matter in the end. And just hold those for, you know, 40 years. Um, yeah, like that's what I personally do. I, I find a lot of good stocks that pay dividends, <laughs> like very stable companies, and I hold them long term. Like mm-hmm. I personally have, I did not sell a single stock in 2021, and I do not plan on selling any stock in 2022. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. Um, yeah, I mean, that's definitely a good strategy. Um, there's, and that, and that's kind of one of the benefits of investing in ETFs over individual stocks is you already have that diversification. So if you invest in the S&P 500, you now have, or SPY, which is the, one of the big S&P 500 ETFs, you're already invested in 500 different stocks. Um, and so that already gives you a lot of diversification. Um, yeah. yeah. And just to quickly circle back with your intros with your introduction on how you got into finance due to the 2008 recession mm-hmm. with everything going on with the Biden administration and Ukraine, do you feel like we have the groundworks for another recession to happen? Oh yeah. Yeah. Even without the stuff going on in Ukraine, I think we're very easily posed to have a um, recession. Yeah. I think there are definitely steps that the Biden administration could do to prevent it. Um, some of it is kind of inevitable. Um, you know, recessions happen just naturally over time and we're pretty much overdue for one. Yeah. Um, at least if you ignore COVID as one, which yeah, like, I would considering it was completely artificial. Yeah. Like, and to be honest. Yeah. Like it was basically a blip. It lasted a few months. Mm-hmm. I, I got back to where I was beforehand in, in less than two months, honestly, in my mm-hmm. returns. So, yeah. Yeah. And there's a uh, good metric that uh, Warren Buffett likes to use to kind of evaluate where he sees. There's a few different metrics I use, but I really like this one Warren Buffett used to use where you take the GDP of the United States and compare it to the total market cap, which is basically the market cap just means all the shares of a stock. If you, like if you were to buy all the shares of a company stock, how much that would be worth. Um, and basically comparing the entire US market cap of all publicly traded companies to the US GDP. And right now I believe it's about two to one in favor of the stock market, which is obviously pretty unrealistic in terms of that's where the actual wealth is considering you know, how many non-corporations are in the country. Um, one of the issues with it now is that globalization's made it a little less accurate. It's not quite one-to-one anymore, but um, I think it still shows that the stock market's very overpriced right now. Yeah. And uh, did you catch Joe Biden's uh, press brief briefer on Friday, was it? Yeah, yeah. I've seen a few clips of it. I didn't watch the whole thing. Um, yeah, I didn't watch it. If I want to listen to a <laughs> rambling idiot with a speech impediment, I listen to my own podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, some of his comments just crack me up when he you know when he leans in and starts whispering like he's a serial killer it's just 
It just gets me though. It grows the economy and hurts no one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's so weird. <laughs> I have to say though, this is definitely a lot more entertaining than if Hillary had won in 2016 oh. or even in 2020. Oh yeah, because so. like, ah, uh, like, like Hillary wouldn't be interesting, but uh, a Bill Clinton uh, first lord position would be funny. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that's oh. beside the point. Like, uh, one claim uh, that really stuck out to me was uh, when Joe Biden was asked uh, if he felt he overpromised, and he said, I don't feel I overpromised, but I feel like I outperformed. Like, what are your thoughts mm-hmm. on Joe Biden's performance I, I on think the economy? He did, I think he did overperform just how bad he was going to do as president. You know, because everyone thought he was going to be mediocre at best. Yeah. Um, well, I shouldn't say everyone. Half the country thought he was going to be mediocre at best. Um, but I thought he was going to be pretty bad. But I didn't think he was. I mean, as Ben Shapiro's put it, he all he had to do was be a dead guy, which is basically what he already is. Yeah. Instead, he's decided to be Bernie Sanders, um, which is. Yeah. Yeah, but he doesn't want to be Bernie Sanders, so he doesn't know how to play. Yeah, well, and I mean, historically speaking, he just tends to be the heart, wherever the Democratic Party is, that's kind of where Joe Biden's been. Um, And so I think this is a good indication that the Democrats have moved significantly to the left. Yeah, like, uh, basically, hey, Joe Biden... I agree, Joe Biden, in a lot of ways, he's kind of a chameleon. He, he's not a hundred percent there. Like it was clear when, it was, that was clear to me in the debate when he said, poor kids are just as smart and talented <laughs> as white kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, and there's a number of really bad yeah. gaffes like that. But uh, yeah, like, what do you think... He, Joe Biden can do to save the economy from going into recession right now, or at least um, mitigate the damage. I think one of the ways he could is by um, trying to pass a budget that is maybe not balanced, but significantly smaller than what they have been, and kind of try and reassure the economy and the market that the government's getting their spending back in order. Um, which wouldn't be the first time a Democrat's done that. I mean, Bill Clinton wasn't that long ago. Um, Joe Biden was alive for it. He's been in Congress since, you know, 1782. So. Yeah, like, like, uh, what exactly would it mean for us if we were to actually pay off America's debt? Because last time we did that was back under President Andrew Jackson. So mm-hmm. but a lot of historians claim that caused a lot of problems. So I know you have a background in American history as well. So can you explain yeah. what exactly happened with uh, the Andrew Jackson presidency when he took down our debt? So I'm not too familiar on Andrew Jackson's presidency per se. Um, that's not a huge area of expertise for me. But I can say if we were to do it now, it would cause a decent amount of problems. I mean, most obvious of which is that um, 
the bond the U.S. bond market is heavily well the world bond market I should say is heavily dependent on U.S. Treasury bonds because they're viewed as pretty much the safest investment you can have, um, and so that could really cause issues in the economy with the stock market and the bond market and whatnot if basically all our bonds or if if the U.S. government was no longer issuing bonds. Um, so it's not. As far as that goes, it wouldn't be great. I think one of the things that people don't realize is that it's not necessarily that we're having debt. It's just the extreme levels of debt that we're racking up is unsustainable. We could have we could have an annual deficit and it wouldn't really matter as long as our economy is growing at a pace that outpaces that debt. I mean, you know, if the economy is twenty trillion dollars, but our national debt is one trillion dollars. And it's growing by ten billion dollars every year. No one cares because it's such a minuscule amount that it's not affecting anything. Yeah, uh-huh. but yeah, but uh, what would it mean if uh, America chose to default on our loans? That would probably cause a economic crash worldwide. That probably would be worse than the Great Depression, um, mainly because so much of the world relies on the US, um, like I just mentioned for bonds and whatnot, but it would, um, and not just, you know, other countries, but other, you know, companies, you know, US and foreign have tons of treasury bonds. Um, In fact, there are some types of ways where they will borrow money from each other using treasury bonds, short-term ones called T-bills that usually are paid in a few weeks. Um, and they'll trade those with each other as collateral um, if they need cash in the really short term. Um, and so that market would just be completely decimated. And I don't know if the economy would recover from that shock. I mean, it would be pretty catastrophic, which is why, once again, the government should get their spending back in order. <laughs> yeah. And uh, kind of going back to the root cause of our problem uh hamilton so like <laughs> you're familiar with the musical right of course yeah yeah like uh like a lot of people debate how accurate it makes hamilton and uh, role in the federal government and as mm-hmm. yeah because a lot of historians debate his his role because from what i've learned he does come off as a bit of an asshole hole mm-hmm. and screwing over the little guy i uh, in favor of mm-hmm. uh big business. So like, can you mm-hmm. kind of explain a Hamilton's pin a lot? Uh, like the act, Alexander Hamilton, the, the actual person, not uh, Lin-Manuel's Hamilton. Yeah. So, I mean, once again, this is also not an area I'm super knowledgeable about. Um, I've just kind of done a little light reading outside yeah. of listening to the musical. But one of the big things he tried to do was to get um, the government to assume all every state's debt. And the issue with that was that most of the Northern states, like New York, which is where Hamilton was from, um, had large amounts of debt. And you know a lot of the Southern states didn't. Um, and his reasoning for that was that we could get um, basically a credit score in the end, and it could use it to boost our economy by um, introducing more credit into the um, country, which 
might have worked. Um, it's kind of, I mean, that's part of the issues with history is it's really hard to say what would have happened if we didn't do something. Um, yeah, because but... history is a bunch of speculation, like mm -hmm. shoulda, coulda, woulda. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, there are some cases where it's pretty clear that certain things were a mistake, but that usually yeah. only becomes realized when things happen several times, like price controls, you know, that they did in the 30s were a complete disaster. Um, yeah, that that's actually something that might like I don't know how serious uh, the Washington Post was, was with this, uh, but they said, but they posted an article about uh, maybe it's time to let the government control prices. So, can you explain mm -hmm. what uh, price control was like in the 1930s under FDR? Yeah, so during the Great Depression, um, the government basically met with. And here's part of the problem with it is that they would meet with major industry leaders. So right now, if you were meeting with, you know, if you were setting price controls on computers, you'd meet with you know, HP, Apple, Dell, you know, stuff, companies like that. And they would tell you, okay, this is what you should say the price is. And so the government would start controlling the price, which just, pretty much means what it sounds like they'll say this is what you can sell it at you can't sell it at any lower or any higher usually it's a bit of a range but um yeah. and what ends up happening is that um the government doesn't do it in a way that usually um works with supply and demand and so what will happen is it usually ends up leading to shortages um and then um, I was listening to economists the other day basically saying what he thinks will happen if they do it is that we'll have some large shortages and the government will come out and blame those corporations. And in the process, a lot of businesses will go out of business. Yeah, because they can't respond to what the market actually says. So, mm -hmm. yeah. 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 And, and um, yeah, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Okay. Um, and in the 30s, they also instituted wage control. I mean, that's why nowadays a lot of businesses will offer benefits like um, health insurance was a big one that started in the 30s, um, it, but all types, you know, retirement accounts and other things. Um, and it wouldn't be too shocking to hear Biden start talking about instituting some form of a wage control, Pro probably less so capping how much you can offer, but more so um, limiting how little you can give someone, you know, so minimum wage, just, you know, on a much higher extreme. Like, and uh, you really think we could see a cap on wages with all the fight for 15 advocates going on right now? No, I'm saying that that's what FDR did. I don't oh, think okay, that's what okay. Biden's going to do. I think all Biden's right, going right. to do the opposite. I think it's not oh, going to be okay, a minimum okay. wage because I don't think it'll be a permanent thing, but I could certainly see him say, Hey, we need to start filling jobs. You need to start paying people, you know, X amount of money an hour, um, 15, 20, I don't know. Um, and it driving tons of mom and pop shops out of business because yeah. one of the few benefits that they've had is that most minimum wage laws have an exception. If you're under a certain amount of employees, um, which is kind of a stupid exception because that just incentivizes companies not to hire 
you know, over that amount if they're just barely at that number. Um, but um, it ends up helping these companies that wouldn't be able to afford paying them those amounts. Um, yeah, like, uh, uh, so I guess, like, uh, what's your biggest fear coming with uh, the economic world right now that you think is going to be half that could actually happen? Um, probably a global crash. Um, and, you know, I've seen people freaking out because, you know, the stock market was down, you know, 5% here, 1% there. We're talking like 60% plus in this scenario where the stock market loses value. Um, and most people, you know, crypto gets decimated, NFTs get decimated because no one wants to buy them anymore because no one has the money to buy them. Um, you know, and stock market crashes. So all those funds are gone. Um, tons of retail investors. So just average everyday people just get decimated because um, retail investors lately have been doing a lot of hype, hype stocks like Tesla and AMC yeah. and GameStop. Um, and those are probably the companies that are, whose stocks are going to tank the most. Um, yeah, like for me, I feel like uh, the first tech company. I feel like tech companies are going to be the first companies to really bite the bullet if a global recession does happen. Because like when you think, like a lot of people think the first thing to go is entertainment. But uh, here's my theory on why entertainment's going to stay here. Like Disney owns just such a huge share of media right now that, mm -hmm. that they are going to be the ones that needs to fall for entertainment stocks to really fall like mm -hmm. like they're too big to fail at this point in my opinion mm -hmm. and if anything think, else oh sorry go on oh, go ahead well i was gonna say i think there's a few that i could see failing um netflix if something crazy oh, were yeah. to happen i think you know disney plus serves as a good enough competition for them and you know other streaming services too like hulu which mm -hmm. i think disney owns like 60 percent of uh, 80% actually. 80%? Okay. Yeah. Um, so I think it, those serve as a good enough competition that are significantly cheaper um, because I think people, when, when things get hard, people look for an escape. Um, yeah. And so I think entertainment will still survive. I just think cheaper, less luxurious forms will survive. So, you know, if someone has Netflix, Disney Plus, Hulu, Amazon Prime and Paramount Plus, they'll probably cut down to you know the cheapest one. Yeah, because like probably going to be Hulu. Yeah, because you know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, like because if you look at how things turned out during the Great Depression, like it's not like people sat around moping, being miserable. Like people, mm -hmm. like people still found ways to entertain themselves. Kids mm -hmm. played ball stickball on the street you had uh you still had people living their lives finding entertainment and uh they people still listen to the radio back then even if they couldn't afford it they'd go to the downtown shops and listen there mm -hmm. so yeah exactly yeah and I, I definitely agree with you that i think tech stocks are gonna take yeah. more of a hit 
mainly because there's a lot more luxury in them yeah um than stuff because you know ultimately nowadays um with subscription services i think that's in a way made things more expensive but at the same time made them cheaper yeah you know cheaper in the short term more expensive in the long term and so i think that's actually really helped them in case of um a recession where people lose money yeah, but at the same time, going back to Netflix, uh, they, they're not diversified like something like Disney or Paramount, where they got a lot of thumbs and a different bunch of pies all at once. Mm-hmm. Like, if they got a lean year, then they're pretty fucked. So, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, like, I feel like, like, if a global recession or depression does happen and a lot of these entertainment stocks go down, uh, you got Disney or and even Amazon coming in and and swooping them in for pennies on the dollar. So like, Mm -hmm. yeah, like I feel like basically with the streaming wars going on, if a recession does happen, well, these companies are gonna end up going under and uh, the companies that already have a good market share in other areas like Amazon and Disney are just gonna pick up the pieces. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think one of the things that Amazon um, and well, and Disney through Disney Plus and through Hulu have really learned is that there's got to be something unique about their services. So, in the case of Amazon Prime, not only do you get the video, you know, library, you also get free shipping on tons of stuff. And so, yeah. there's a lot of people who, even in a recession, would choose to have Amazon Prime over Netflix because of the shipping advantages. Yeah, um, yeah, especially if you live in a rural area where you can't get access mm-hmm. to a lot of stuff. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and in the case of Disney Plus, you know, Disney Plus benefits from things like Star Wars and the MCU being absolutely huge right now, more so MC- the MCU than Star Wars, which kind of hurts as a lifelong Star Wars fan, but, yeah. um, uh, what do you think who, about the new, uh, just a quick question. What do you think about the new Boba Fett series? I, I haven't seen it yet. I, ha- I haven't watched it yet. Um, oh, okay. I haven't followed Two, I don't think I've really watched anything since Rise of Skywalker. Uh, I just yeah. been kind of sulking and watching more of the MCU because I've been enjoying it more. Uh, um, although even new, that, yeah, did you see new Spider Man movie? Yeah, yeah. Oh god, it was yeah. quite the, it's quite the trip. Um, yeah, like no spoilers in this video, but uh, go watch it. You won't regret it. Yeah, and as someone who has enjoyed it, the Tom Holland Spider Man movies, I think it was a pretty good send off for the end of this trilogy and also a new beginning for some new movies for him. Um, but, and one of the benefits that Hulu has over Netflix is that they have, you know, ad supported options that are cheaper. And I just don't think Netflix has learned to effectively compete with any of these options, you know, cause I think their cheapest is like 11 or 12 bucks a month versus uh, Hulu is like six. Yeah, like uh, you can, there's a lot of different options with Hulu. You can do ads, you can uh, do ad free or even do like uh, their, their live option, which is basically just cable. And yeah, then, then you can just bundle it with uh, Disney Plus and ESP, mm-hmm. ESPN Plus for like, I think 14 bucks a month. That That's a pretty good deal. Yeah, well, and considering that's, on par with what Netflix is, that's pretty competitive, considering you're getting three streaming services for the price of one. 
Um, I just don't know how Netflix will be able to compete with that if things get really bad. Yeah, um, so I'm definitely looking at Netflix to try to maybe innovate, maybe work with, like maybe work with uh, other companies to bring in and different stuff, like maybe work with Broadway mm-hmm. to bring in different musicals for live performances. Mm-hmm. Like maybe like one thing I definitely want to see someday is VR technology that puts you right at a Broadway show. I want to see that. Oh, I, I'd sure. pay, yeah, like I'd pay a streaming <laughs> fee for that. Uh-huh. Um, I think I've heard that Netflix is trying to get into the gaming area a little bit, but I haven't followed that too much. Um, I'm really curious how well that's going to work because I think for most people, if they're going to get a subscription service for gaming, they'll probably do it through um, yeah. something like, you know, Xbox's Game Pass, you know, those type of things. Yeah. Directly like, through the company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like uh, not kind of dealing with uh, the Gamefly situation. That that didn't really take off. Yeah. 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 But, I mean, I, you know, back in the day, I used to buy all my games through um, GameStop. And now I don't know the last time I've been in a GameStop. I pretty much exclusively buy them through Microsoft, Steam, or um, uh, the PlayStation Network. Yeah. Uh, I believe that's all the time we have today. Uh, would you like to close us out? All right. Well, this has been All You Can Eat Shrimp. I'm Joe Broding. Um, thank you for your time. Um, have a nice night. <laughs>